Amen. You may be seated. It's heavier than it looks. Hey, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, I got here a few minutes late. Did I miss the baptisms? No, you didn't. We're going to be celebrating baptism at the end of our service today. Throughout Scottsdale Bible Church, I would say 40 to 50 men, women, and children have made this public profession of faith today through baptism, or they're going to be throughout the day. And so I always love baptism. It's an exciting Sunday for me when we get to baptize people because it, it really kind of uh, shows. We had, we had five people earlier in the first service, and we're going to have one uh, coming up again in a few minutes here. But it, it kind of marks the beginning of their journey, right? You don't get baptized after you've arrived. You get baptized kind of towards the beginning of your journey. It's so your way of saying, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm identifying with him. And so to me, it's kind of exciting, like the beginning of any journey is exciting, and so I, I love celebrating baptism. But whenever, whenever we do, uh, I, this question always kind of lingers in my mind. This question of um, how, how will they finish their journey? Okay, so they're, they're in the, the tank, they're being baptized, they're proclaiming, uh, they're following Jesus, it kind of marks the beginning of this journey, but, but how will they finish, right? Will they, will they finish strong? Will they finish what they set out to do in following Christ? Will we look back on this event uh, 50, 70 years later and say, I remember when I was baptized and I still love the Lord today? Or will they fade away? Will they begin to just walk away from the faith? And I know you're thinking, wow, that's a real downer, Steve. Let's be more optimistic. Maybe we should phrase the question as well. Well, how can we help them? How can we help them persevere? How can we help them be faithful to this journey they're beginning? How in fact, will they make it? We're going to talk about something today that is pretty foundational to what we're trying to do here at Scottsdale Bible Church, and in particular here at the Mountain Valley campus. Okay, um, the vision of our church, as you know, is to create a community of, of Christ followers, right? Disciples, Christians, you know, followers of Jesus, people who uh, we're going to get baptized today, people like you and me who decided, hey, we're going to follow and trust the Lord. Right? We want to build a community of those folks who are marked by, by unconditional love for God and for each other and marked by unwavering faith. And we have lots of programs and, 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 and there's a vision and mission and strategies to do all of that. But one way I think that's of maybe a primary importance, one of the, one of the greatest ways we can do this, help someone continue in their journey and, and remain strong in their faith, is by connecting them into what I'll call authentic community. Right? Getting plugged into to the real life of the church, authentic community. It's one of the values of our church. Right? One, one, of, one of four stated values is authentic community. I think it's incredibly important that we get connected into that. And so uh, I say authentic community and you think of something. So let me tell you what I mean when I say authentic community. First of all, it's community. Right? We're in relationship with one another. Right? We, it, it takes many forms. It could be groups. It could be just you know, smaller gatherings you're in. It could be one-on-one. -on -one. It could be a class. Uh, there's lots of ways we can form community. In fact, at some level, we have community even here as we relate with one another. Lots of ways, lots of ways we can do that. So it's not, it's not just one way to do community, but it's, it's any way that you get to know other people. And I mean really get to know them and also be known. So we, we know others and we're known by them. And, and there's, a, there's a, a commitment to one another. So you don't just pass through a, a, being a part of community. You, you kind of put roots in there. You're saying, hey, these are my peeps. These are, these, this is, these are the folks I gather with on a regular basis. And there's an there's a implied commitment to this group. 
but it's authentic, right? There, there's a realness about it. So we're not just gathering together and putting on faces and an air and a pretense of how we're living, but people get to see us as we truly are, right? Are, are the good, the bad, the ugly, right? We're, we're standing there in a community saying, hey, listen, I'm not finished. God's not done with me yet. I'm a, I'm a work in progress. And so I've got good things, I've got bad things in my life, and this community will help uh, form us and even, and even put, give us character. So, so we're, we're, we're a community, but we're real with each other. We're authentic. Again, no airs that we've got everything together. So I don't know all of you. I know some of you. I don't know all of you. I don't know where you're at in your journey. Maybe you got baptized in the first service. You're beginning your journey. Maybe you're a fairly new Christian Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years. Uh, maybe you've been walking with the Lord for 20, 30, 50 years, but you've kind of plateaued a little bit. I, I don't know where you're at in your journey, but I do know this. All of us, no matter where we're at in our journey with Christ, we need authentic community. Right? All of us. And so today, we're going to see why it's so important. We're going to see even, even how it helps us grow but, and also, we'll probably look at why we avoid it sometimes. Why, why, why real, authentic community can be so elusive. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to pray and ask God to speak to us this morning. Lord Jesus, uh, this is your church. And, and we are your people. We identify with you as our Lord and Savior. And so we ask that you would speak to us this morning from your word. God, you gave us this passage in Hebrews to, to change us so that we would be different. Lord, so our church would be healthier, so we would be healthier. So I pray that as we hear the truth from your word this morning, God, that you prepare our hearts and our minds to receive it, to think, how might I live differently because of this truth, because of this command that we read this morning. God, truly, we want to be different as we leave here today for your glory. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses, uh, starting at verses 24. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can look up on the board. I just, you just have to trust me that I wrote them down correctly. Uh, I may not have, but I'm pretty sure I did copy them correctly. But uh, if you don't have a Bible and you like one, there's one in the uh, seat in front of you. And one, feel around a couple of seats, there'll be a Bible there. You can take it home with you if you'd like it, if you don't have one. But let's, uh, let's get into the word this morning. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, let me, let me read this for you. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, so as we unpack these verses today, we're going to see uh, three ideas, three, three principles uh, about authentic community. We'll see how and why community is so important to us. And the first principle is, is rather obvious. It's obvious because I've been talking about it. I've been alluding to it over the last few minutes here, and, and this is the first principle, the first idea, is that authentic community, it produces spiritual health and maturity in our lives. Authentic community actually produces spiritual growth, spiritual health 
in our lives. Now, if you've been around here for any period of time, you've heard us tell, tell you, we, we say it, I'm like a broken record sometimes, hey, get into a group, take a class, find community. We wanna build community, right? I, I know you're sick of it, but we're still gonna do it. Why? Why is it such a big deal to us? couple reasons. We believe that spiritual, uh, that spiritual growth happens in community, right? And I'm concerned about your spiritual growth, right? I, I don't get bonus points to get you into a small group. There's no stock options. I don't know if you knew that, but they don't pay me extra or anything to get you into a small group. I just think it's good for you. I'm concerned about your spiritual growth. I want you to grow closer to the Lord, right? That's my desire. That's why I got into this job to do, and, and also, I want you to grow, but I, I think that growth happens best in community. So I want you to get into community so that you can grow <clears throat> in your faith. Well, let's look at what the, the scripture says here about this. As a community, it says, here, here, let us consider how to stir up one another to what? To love and good works. So when we talk about spiritual health and maturity, I think this phrase captures it pretty well. What does it mean to be mature? It means we have love and good works. We're growing in our love and good works for one another. Uh, love, pretty straightforward. We've been talking about this. Jamie preached a few weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago, and the following week, about love. Love for the brother, right? love for the world, but also love for God. So when we talk about uh, growing, spurring one another, another on in love, we are growing in our love for God and our love for other people. And good works is just that. It's, it's the things you do, the good things you do for people that you love, right? And it's acts of kindness, it's, it's generosity, it's, it's, it's worship, it's prayer. It's anything we do that, has a, that, that is done with good motives and, and has good results. They're good works. When we're obeying God's commands, those are good works. We are to spur one another on to love and good works, right? So if you want to know what spiritual maturity is, that's it. Right? Love and good works. And we want to spur each other on in community to do that. And I, and I believe it's essential to do so. But there's one important thing. And that's the second uh, idea here. The authentic community, it requires us to be in relationship with one another. Now, that might seem, the first one was pretty obvious. Right? Authentic community produces spiritual growth. I've said that a million times. This one might be more obvious. Right? But I still think it's worth saying, authentic community requires us to be in relationship with one another. Right? Not just in proximity to one another, right? not just being next to someone, but being in relationship with them. You don't grow spiritually by sitting next to someone. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It happens when you interact with them, when you engage with them relationally. Look at what the scripture says. We, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another, right? To do all these one another's, you have to have what? The others. You can't do, you can't do one another things by yourself. I mean, you can't, you know, have fun with one another by yourself. It just doesn't work. So it's just, it's just implied. We have to be together in a congregation. You have to be in relationship with one another, uh, it's required. And if you've ever, uh, if you've been to church before, and you've ever heard a sermon on this passage, you know that this idea of, of stirring up, right, this idea to stir up one another, involves this, this mutual provocation, right? We're, we're, not, we're doing these things for one another, but we're, but we're stirring up one another to love and good deeds. If you've ever heard a sermon, you know this means uh, to, to irritate, 
to provoke. Right? This is the one place in Scripture that I'm aware of where you're given permission to nag, to be irritable, to, to, to be irritating. Right? We, we are to irritate people, to stir them up, provoke. I don't know which word is best, but it's kind of the same thing. We're to do things to get people to love and to do good works. It's not that difficult. How many of you know? How many of you know how to provoke someone to anger? Oh, I heard a, almost an amen over here. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you, uh, as the husbands, wives, nudging? Yeah, if you're married, you know how to do this. You know how to provoke someone to anger. Have you ever had a college roommate? You know how to provoke someone to anger, a good friend, sibling, right? You got young kids, you know how they provoke each other to anger. You know how the drill goes, right? You say something, you do a little something annoying, say something else, make a facial expression, whatever. You push all the buttons, you do everything, and what happens? Boom, they explode. You've done what? You've provoked them to anger. Well, it's not much different when it comes to provoking someone to love and good works. It's just the result is different. You push all the buttons, you say all the right things, and instead of anger, they respond with love and with good works. So in order to do that, just like we, we know those people, our, our spouse or our college roommate or our siblings, we know that we know what makes them uh, tick. We know, we know how to kind of push their buttons and make them angry. When we know people, when we're in relationship with people, true community, we know then what makes them respond in love and respond in good work. So, so there's an implication here that we have to know one another, right? You can't just sit next to someone and know what buttons to push to make them love and to spur them on to, to good deeds. Notice, though, that this is not a command for us just to go out and love one another, right? The writer here isn't saying, hey, go out and love people, go out and do good works. He's saying, no, 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 no. I want you to go out and, and spur others on to love and good deeds. So this isn't a, a, a message for me to go love my wife or do good things for her, but it's, it's, it's telling me, okay, I need to find ways to, to spur her on to love others and to love the Lord and to do good deeds. And, and I know what buttons to push for my wife. I know things I can say that will encourage her to be more loving, that will encourage her to do good works. I know how to push her buttons to respond in anger too. It's because I know her, right? I'm in relationship with her. And that's why community is so important. We need to, we need to engage with one another. We need to be able to get to know each other, right? Again, passing each other on Sunday morning won't get that done. But there's a, there's a danger here, right? We have to do this on a regular and frequent basis to be able to get to know someone. But there's a, there's a danger that the early church uh, fell into this trap. And, and let's see it here. They were neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. They were neglecting to, to meet together. Uh, I, I know this is definitely a first century problem, the time of Jesus. This never happens today. But can you believe it? Back in Jesus' day, some people were skipping out on church. They were doing other things rather than going to be with the assembled body of believers. I know it's shocking that those people way back then would do that kind of stuff. But just in case it might be relevant today, you can hear the sarcasm, right? Because I'm laying it on pretty thick. Right? No, this is a problem just today as it was back then. People forsake the assembling together, right? I, I do this from time to time, and I'm the pastor. It's easy to do this sometimes. 
Here's a list of reasons why we might miss gathering together. Right? Remember, remember the early church back then was a little different. It was a little more relational. It wasn't quite this big mega church, so it's probably easier to skip out today. But uh, maybe you can skip out and not even be noticed as much. But back then it was a little harder. So there were reasons back then and today that they actually would miss out, that we might miss out on the assembling together uh, uh, as a church. Uh, here are some reasons we might miss. Uh, you're tired. Who isn't tired on Sunday morning? Now, this is the 11 o'clock service, so you guys don't have much of an excuse. But the 9 o'clock service, you know, I got a few amens, yeah. Uh, right, I mean, you know, you're tired. I mean, everybody gets tired on Sunday morning. Or maybe not even Sunday morning, because we're not just talking Sunday morning here. We're talking gathering together during the week, small group. We've got a small group that meets Thursday nights. End of the week, right, getting towards the end of the week, we're all tired, 6.30 at night. Hey, I'm a co-leader of the class, and there's times I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to go to class tonight. I'm tired. I just want to go home, sleep, relax. And I'm the leader, right? The rest of us, we, we all have a temptation to do that. Lazy, apathetic. We can just be lazy. We can be apathetic, not really care about going. Right? This was me in college. It was kind of connected to tired. But when I, I was really involved in church when I, I was here in Scottsdale. I went down to U of A, and, and just the first, man, first few months, I, I was really kind of lazy about getting involved in a church. I mean, I went to church. I went to Bedside Baptist, all the good ones, St. Mattress of the Springs. I went there regularly. Church of the Holy Comforter. Have you ever been there? Occasionally, I would gather with some of my friends at that great Catholic church, St. Arbucks. Uh, you know, that was my fellowship for a while on Sunday morning, but, but then I realized that's not going to be enough. I, I needed to actually get out into church, but I was just being lazy about it. Bored. Right, I've sat through sermons before that, didn't, that, didn't, uh, synth, that weren't scintillating, that didn't excite me. Hey, this one might be one for you. It might be next week's. It might have been last week's. I don't know. But I've, I've been bored at church. It's not always exciting. And so sometimes we go, eh, I don't know if I want to go. Conflict. I don't go to church because I don't want to see so-and-so. And we're having a kind of a, uh, and it's going to be awkward, so I'm just going to miss. Maybe we're hopeless. Ah, what good would it do? I've been to church before. Not much is going to change. I'm still, I'm still the same person. I still have these issues. Guilt. Oh, it's been so long since I've been to church. I don't, you know, people probably wonder where I've been. I, I don't want to go now because then they'll just start asking questions. So we have guilt. Maybe we're busy. We're just too busy. You know, people complain about the modern church being full of consumers. Uh, I think maybe, as, that might be true as well, but I think the modern church is full of people who are consumed. Right? They just have too much going on in their lives, so they, can't, they don't have the time, and they don't make the time to connect relationally with other people. Or maybe we're here, but we're not really here. Maybe we gather, but we're just not emotionally present. Right? We're, we're, we're not really involved in, in the discussion, and we're just kind of showing up. Uh, maybe we do this, and we're thinking in the, in the back of our minds, I, I don't even know if I want to be known. I don't know if I, people, if I want people to know who I am. You know, I don't know. I don't know what your reasons have ever been. I know what some of my reasons have been. But these are actual reasons that people might give for missing out on, on the gathering together. But here's the deal. They're actual reasons, but they're not good reasons. Right? We need to make sure we're not missing out on the regular and frequent participation in the body of Christ. Uh, simply put, it's in our best interest to do so. Which brings us to our third principle. There are these reasons not to do it. So because of that, authentic community doesn't happen automatically. Right? It requires continual effort and intentionality. Look what it says. 
let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider. This phrase, let us consider, it, it implies we're going to think about it. There's going to be some intentionality behind what we're doing. So we're, we're being challenged to think about, about how, we can, how we can provoke other people to love and good works. So we, we have to put some, some before thought into this. Before we gather together, we're to ask that question, hey, how can, I, how can I provoke people? How can I make other people, help other people to love and to do good things, to do good works? The point here is that this stuff just doesn't happen automatically when we gather. We need to be intentional about it. And, and I would say most of us aren't that way. Most of us attend church things, attend small groups, attend gatherings, are even in relationship oftentimes without a lot of intentionality. What would intentionality look like? It means maybe you ask these questions of yourself. And they're tough questions, I know. They're, they're convicting. I don't always have positive answers when I answer this, when I answer these questions. But uh, when was the last time you thought about how you can help others love more or do good works? When was the last time you thought ahead of, of, of a meeting, of a gathering, of a small group, and said, hey, what am I going to do today that's going to help other people love God more? Or, or what am I going to do today? How will I provoke others to, to be more loving and to do good works? What's your thought process when you come to church on Sunday or when you go to small group? What are you thinking about? For most of us, and I mean most of us, myself included, it's like, boy, I hope this is good tonight. I hope I learn something. I hope I enjoy this thing. But oftentimes, I'm, I'm not thinking, boy, what can I do to help Jeff today? What can I do to provoke him and spur him on to love and good deeds? I'm not always thinking that. When are you gathering with other Christians to do this kind of stuff? So, so even before, you know, what are you thinking about when you go there? Are you even going there? Do you have environments, these relational environments where you're connecting with other believers and you're spurring each other on to love and good deeds? Do you, do you have those environments? Because guess what? For the most part, it's not Sunday morning. I mean, it can be. You know, we could stick around afterwards and have meaningful conversation. I try to spur you on every week to do that. But I know it's like ding, ding, ding. That's how it works. That's how it works at lots of churches. But, but where are you getting that? And if it's not Sunday morning, if you got lunch plans, you got whatever, I get it. Then when is it going to be? Midweek. I don't know. Find times to do that. Uh, ask yourself that question. When are you, you going to find those times? So maybe you're thinking, wow, Steve, those questions are convicting. I don't know if, I, um, if I'm doing that. What can I do? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, let me give you five things. Five things we can do in community that spur people on to love and good deeds. I know you like lists. I like lists. My wife likes lists. Uh, I operate this way. I feel good when I check things off my list. This is not really a list that you have to do all five of these things. I'm just trying to help you think about some, some good things that can happen, uh, some good things you can do when you're with other people that will spur them on to love and good deeds, okay? You don't have to leave here and do all five things, but these are things that might help you uh, obey this command that God's word has given us. Uh, the first thing is ask someone to pray for us. When you ask someone to pray for you, it spurs them on to love and good deeds. Now I know this is really unnatural for some of you to ask someone else to pray for you, especially you guys. It's very unnatural. This is, this is on par with asking another man to open a jar that's stuck that you can't get open and asking him to do it for you. 
right? That just has never happened to any man in the history of the universe, right? You'd rather drop, drop the jar and break it than have to ask another man to open a jar that you can't get open, right? Or directions, right? Anything like that. I don't know. It's unnatural, but let me tell you why it's a good thing. When you ask someone to pray for you, you really are, you're spurring them on to love and good works. You see, Steve, how, how am I doing that? Okay, first of all, when you share something in your life, hey, this is, this is an issue, it's a concern, it's a burden, uh, would you pray for me? Then you're sharing something that's important to you, and, and they're reciprocating, right? They're getting involved in your life because now they start to care about it. Because, I say, hey, this is something that's really important to me. I'm worried about this. And they begin to worry about that for you. They begin to enter into relationship with you, and they start caring about the things you care about. Right? That's love. Right? The, what matters to you is now mattering to them. Right? They're entering into your life. That's one thing. And now they're beginning to pray for you. That seems like a good work to me. They're, and when they pray, they're placing their faith and trust that the Lord can do something. That sounds like a good thing to me. Those are good deeds, right? When, when they're praying for us, that's a good thing that we can ask someone to do. When we don't ask, when we're not asking, we, in some sense, we're kind of depriving people of that right to enter into our life and to pray for us. And so this is one good way we can do that. <clears throat> What's another way? Well, we can bear other people's burdens. We can bear someone else's burdens. I mean, how did, how did, how did Jesus, how does Jesus physically take care of us today? If we're sick, if we're hungry, you know, we're tired, we, we, our family's sick all week, and you know, we, it's hard to go out and get food and do all this stuff. How, how does Jesus meet our need? He could, because he's God, he could drop manna from heaven and feed our family, feed your family if you're all sick. He could do that. He could uh, come and deliver a, a pot roast in person to your house. It might freak you out, but he could do that. But how does he normally do it? He normally does it when other believers are spurred on to go and show you love and to do these things for you. Wouldn't it be great if, if others in the congregation, if, if people in the church were spurring one another on so that we had a culture where we were doing this kind of stuff on a regular basis? I mean, I, I just said earlier, I mean, we, this has happened for us when, when our whole family was sick a few months ago and we're all, you know, we're feeling terrible. We didn't get out of the store. We had no food. And some of our friends were motivated, were inspired to, to, to come and bring us dinner. The same thing when my mom passed away. We, we were dealing with all of this and all the emotions with that, and people would come alongside us and help bear this burden with us. And so when we have a culture where we feel like it's our responsibility to spur each other on to do these types of things, what a great church that is. Wouldn't you want to be part of a culture where we did that? Another way is that we can be examples of good works. Another thing you can do is just be an example of doing good works, right? Sometimes we need to have tangible examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus, right? This is why we need to find people in our lives who are, who are a little, maybe a little more mature in us than us in the faith, maybe a little further along, right? So we can follow their example. Hey, what does it mean? What kinds of good works do Christians do? Oh, the kinds of things Larry does. Oh, the kinds of things Jim does, Sally, you know, whatever. We're seeing their example and we're imitating that. But also there's people who are maybe a little less mature, newer Christians, and we can be an example to them. They're looking to us and that's how it's supposed to work. So when we are good examples of love and good works, people can see that and then they'll know how to, how to follow the Lord, how to do these things. I'm in an accountability group. And there's usually two or four, two to four of us over the, I've been in this for 15 years, 
just a, a couple of guys and I, we get together and we talk about life. We share life, we share our struggles, we pray for each other. And it's not that they're like aggressively holding me accountable to everything. Steve, what'd you do this week? How many times did you do this? It's not quite like that. But as we share life and as they share their life, they're, they're a positive example of my life. And I'm sitting there sometimes and, and one of my friends is Christian and he's talking about what he's been doing this week and I'm thinking, man, I'd like to be doing those things too. What a great example of how to, to love my wife or to love my kids or to, or to be a pastor in a church. He's also a pastor. So we can be uh, examples of good works and by doing so, it can spur others on to love and good deeds as well. What else? Uh, fourth, we can encourage others to press on in their faith. Right, how many of you are, um, you're part of like CrossFit? Any CrossFitters in here? What do you call it? There's nobody in CrossFit here or you're just too buff to admit it? You don't want to raise your hand because it's so sore? I mean, it's got to be someone. I don't know, but any CrossFitters in here? Anybody, anybody had a personal trainer at a gym? It's sad to confess I had one once, a long time ago. But if you ever had a trainer in a gym or maybe even a, like a football coach or something or a sports coach, what do those trainers do as you're working out? Because if you ever really worked out hard, Right, you know, those la the, last, uh, the last thing is tough. And, and if you ever really pushed your body to the limits, you undoubtedly want to quit. Right, you're like, enough of this stuff. My body's aching, it's hurting. And what does, a, what does a trainer primarily do? I mean, they show you how to do the things right, but they're there to spur you on to continue your workout. You feel like giving up, you feel like dropping the weight, and they're just there to say, hey, no, 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 you can do it. Remember how flabby you used to be? Look how, look how you are now. Remember that V? That's what you're going for. Look at you. Man, you're, you're looking great. You know, you've, you've, you've had great progress. Remember the goal. You can do it. You can get this last, last bar up. You can do, and they're there. What are they doing? They're spurring you on. They're encouraging you to press on in your workout. We can do the same thing with people's faith. Someone, someone comes to church. They come to your small group, and, and, and they just feel like, ah, where's God? My prayers aren't being answered. I don't even know if he's there. I don't know what's going on. And, and you can encourage them to continue to press on in their faith and not give up. Maybe someone has doubts about Jesus. Who's there to answer their tough questions, to, to, again, to spur them on, to continue to follow, or maybe even for the first time to follow Jesus? Again, you're spurring them on to love and good works. The fifth thing we can do is we can keep others from sinning. If you stop and think about it for a second, the, the opposite of love and good works is, is hate and doing bad things. Right? That's kind of the definition of sin. So when we're spurring someone on to love and good works, then uh, kind of by definition, we're keeping them away from doing the things that are opposite of that. Right? And so when we, um, you know, uh, let me think of an example. Uh, I had friends when I was, uh, I went to a bar mitzvah when I was 13 years old. My dad's here, and he's the first time he's ever going to hear this, but uh, that was the first time I ever drank alcohol. And, uh, sorry, Dad. Uh, that was the first time I ever drank. It was, a, it was the Silverman Bar Mitzvah, and, and, and all these friends are like, come on, Steve, do it, do it. And what are they doing? They're spurring me on to sin. But I needed people, and I had other times in high school when I had some of these same temptations, I had other good Christian friends around me like, dude, you don't want to do that. That's bad news. Don't go down that path. Right? They're spurring me on to keep me from, from sinning. Right? It's not something a 13-year-old uh, in school should be doing. Uh, we don't have a time to unpack all of the verses that follow uh, this verse, but let me just show you what comes next. After the writer of Hebrews, after he says, hey, hey spur each other on to, to be loving, to, to do good works, this is what he says. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, 
There's no long, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Wow, this is getting bad. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? You get the picture here? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, that's a lot there. I don't have time to explain it all. But I think we can all agree uh, that's not a good thing. right? You don't want to be in that situation. You don't want to be uh, encountering that by deliberately sinning. It's not a good thing for followers of Jesus to go on willfully sinning when, when they know better. Uh, I have a friend, this is probably, oh boy, 15 years ago now. I had a friend who, uh, in fact, I stood up in his wedding. I was one of his groomsmen, his wedding, a lifelong friend, I knew him. And he decided that uh, he just didn't want to be married anymore. He, uh, they were fighting, and there was no adultery, no abuse, nothing like that going on. They just couldn't get along, and they didn't want to get married anymore. And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm pretty sure Jesus says something about this. Uh, he says you shouldn't just walk away and abandon your wife. And so uh, my other friend, another friend and I, we're, both, we're all mutual friends, we go over to his house, and we did what? We just tried to encourage him, to spur him on to obey the Lord. Right? We said, uh, we, we said hey, man, don't, you don't want to do this. It, it's, it's a life of pain. I know it seems easy. I know, I know it's tough what you're going through. I, I'm not going through that. I wasn't even married at the time, so I don't really know what that world's like, but I know what Jesus says. And he says, don't do this. I was trying to spur him on to love and good deeds. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go on deliberately sinning. I don't want to go on do things. I don't want to face this stuff. Right? I want people in my life who will encourage me, not, not publicly rebuke me, or publicly make me look silly, but, but who will privately, re, who, who will encourage me, who will spur me on to, to obey Jesus and, and not to go down this path. I mean, I've got blind spots and you do too. I need people in my life who will help me not, not go down this path, who will help me become more like Christ, who will spur me, on, spur me on to love and good deeds. And when we're in community, I mean, true, relational, authentic, uh, let, let's, we're all in this together for everyone's good type of community, right? We become more like Christ as we go about life with greater love, performing good works for the glory of God. I don't know about you, but this, this is good motivation for me. But it's not the end of the motivation. Because look, look what he says as he closes out, verse 25. He says, don't neglect to meet together, as some people do, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Think about this for a second. Every day we're getting closer to seeing Jesus. Every day. Either, either we're going to go be with him one at a time as we pass away, or he's going to come for us in one collective group. But either way, as I started explaining this, we're 10 seconds closer to the Lord. Right? And th this mindset ought to be uh, in our heads. We should be thinking this way. Now, I, I have a confession to make. Um, please don't think less of me for this, but uh, I'm not the greatest philosopher. You know? I'm not the greatest philosopher. I floss maybe once a week. I don't know. It's probably, it's, hey, listen, I, I brush twice a day, right? I'm not a wild beast. But I, but I don't floss as much as maybe I, I should uh, until, 
When? It's checkup time. Right? About two weeks prior to checkup, man, I'm flossing these babies every day, getting those gums nice and ready. So why? Because when my teeth are going to be examined, right, I want them to be looking good. Right? I'm no dummy. Right? And if I know there's going to be a test at the end of my life, if I'm going to be accountable for my life, I want to be prepared for that. And if I know that day is coming close, if I know it could be tomorrow, oh man, you got my attention. Right? I'm going to make sure my life is full of love and good works. And the writer here says that day is coming. Right? We're going to stand before the Lord. We're going to give an account for our lives. And the best as I can tell from my understanding of the scriptures right, is that followers of Jesus will be judged whether they've done good or bad. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or evil. Most uh, scholars and experts um, believe that this judgment for Christians, right, it doesn't determine eternal destinies, but, but rewards from God. And again, our sermon isn't on this. We could preach this message, this passage for another whole uh, hour. But here's the basic thing. I don't know about you, but I want more good than evil in my life. I, I want a, a community to, that spurs me on to do good. I want you to help me pile on the good. I need you to spur me on. I think we all need that. So let me conclude with this. Maybe you're saying, well, Steve, this all sounds great, but that's not my reality. That's not the, I'm not in those environments. I'm not doing those things a lot. So let me, uh, how do I start? You know, what, what can I do? What are, some, what are some baby steps? Chances are you may not go from A to Z today. But what are some simple things you can do? And as I go through this list, I want you to be thinking, what could you do to just begin this process of being in, in relational community? Here's some simple things. Um, invite a family over for dinner. We do this from time to time, just to meet people, just to get to know them a little bit. We just invite them over to our house, say, hey, come on over, let's hang out. We're not doing Bible studies. Okay, we're not laying hands on each other, anointing with oil and praying or anything like that, sharing testimonies. We're just getting to know them a little bit, right? Consider doing that. Maybe invite someone out to lunch with you. Hey, maybe you sit next to the same family every week. And just say, hey, would you guys like to come over for dinner one time? We'd love to have you over to our house. And begin, right, begin that relational community. Uh, there's obvious ones. Join classes we offer. Join a small group where we offer them. Right, get involved in that kind of uh, group. Come hang out with us. This is, this is low-hanging fruit. Come hang out with us uh, at, at Spring Fest in a few weeks. Right, get to know other people. Right, maybe invite a friend, another follower of Christ, out to breakfast or lunch or coffee and say, hey, what's God doing in your life? And, and just real simple and open-ended, begin to uh, learn and grow with each other and, and, and really uh, form a relationship that can spur each other on to love and good works. Um, serve together with other people. Uh, some family promise. We have all these opportunities to serve, and it's great to serve them. But you know what? It's also great to serve alongside with other people because you get to know them. Right? You build this common uh, thing that you can form a relationship around. Listen, I don't know what it is. Those are just a few examples. Uh, you, know, you might be visiting here. You're not even part of this church. You can take this back to your church. Right? You don't have to do it here, but, but you should do it somewhere. You should find community somewhere. Yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not trying to get you to make an emotional decision today. I, I don't have tables in the lobby for signups for small groups. If I, I, told you, I think I've told you this before, but I'm a lousy salesman. I would not be a good salesman. 
the closing the deal part's not my thing. I don't, I don't put any pressure. I don't want you to make an emotional decision to go outside it for something you didn't want to do. What I'm trying to do today is I'm trying to just plant a seed in your, in your brain, a thought where you walk away and say, you know what that guy was talking about, what the scriptures say, I think I need that. I need to find that somewhere. And, and don't get me wrong, we got ways for you to connect. And we're going to keep giving you ways for you to connect. But this, this, the, the job I'm trying to do today isn't to go get you to do that right this second and sign you up. I want you to be thinking about this. I want this to be the way you think about the Christian life. That when you gather together with other people, your, your intentionality, your, your, the, what you do is, is trying to motivate them, inspire and spur them on to love and good deeds. I want you to be convinced that you need this. It's for your good and it's for the good of the church and for the glory of God. What step could you take as you leave here today? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for, again, for your body, for your church. We're grateful for the truth from your word. And I just pray for the men and women in here today, Lord, that they would find authentic community somewhere, that they would take the initiative, whether they're introverts or extroverts, whatever, Lord, uh, that they would take the initiative to find this somewhere. Because again, God, I believe you, you've designed your body, your church, to function in this way, and that there really is no place for the Lone Ranger Christian, but that we need each other, we need to encourage each other. So God, help us to find these places, help us to find these environments where we can grow, we can spur each other on uh, to love and good deeds, and we know that's, that's pleasing to you, Lord, and it's good for us, and it brings you glory. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen.